This is episode 59 of Offscript with Trish Glose. Intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Samantha Steele. Hello, Samantha. Good morning. Good morning. You are the superintendent for Central Point School District. Yes, I am. Um, Is the school year wrapped up? The school year is wrapped up uh, for students and for teachers, but we still have a tremendous number of staff uh, working on wrapping up this year and getting started on next year. I was going to ask, I think there's a romantic idea of teachers and school administrators that once that last bell rings, you guys fly out the door too. I think once that last bell rings, teachers and principals do fly out the door for the evening, for the, yeah, for the weekend, <laughs> for the weekend, there's something about that transition. It's hard not to get excited about summer. Um, most of us have been on, have been in school since we were five years old, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter that a large number of us. For example, I work year round, 260 days a year. Mm-hmm. I really don't have summer break. Um, but you still feel that the pressure's excitement. off. The pressure's a little right. bit off. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I've never really thought about teachers and school staff and administrators. You guys have been going to school like your whole lives. Oh yes, yes. We're good at school. Yeah, yeah. You are. You're professional schoolgoers, I guess. Um, do you think if you ever took, I don't want to say not real job. That's awful. If you ever <laughs> no, took a job, it, if you ever took a job that you didn't, it wasn't a school year. I mean, do you, would you be able – you said you work year-round. I work year-round. And, and in fact, a lot of times one of the good times of year for me to take a vacation is September. And that sounds crazy. That does sound crazy. everybody's back in school. But I'm district office. I'm at the Death Star. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no one in any school, no principal, no teacher, no one wants to see me in September. And, oh, gosh, that's um, hilarious. So a lot of times as they're trying to get started, the last thing they want is someone right. – um, from district office coming in. Have you known teachers who get out of teaching and they do do something else and they're just like, I don't, the schedule, I can't do the schedule. Has that ever happened? Oh, absolutely. I can we, imagine. We've had teachers resign, go to pursue something else and come back. Um, you know, the summer's off and there are a lot of our staff who absolutely have summers off. And that is that is a nice perk. It's a, that's a bonus. It really is. And those winter breaks, those aren't bad either. Not bad. And a week at spring break. It's on my list of what would I do if I ever left News 10? Uh-huh. Maybe do something with the like a school district. I could be a teacher's aide. Well, come in, come in and and teach a class. Okay. Uh, do a seminar. Do come into Crater Works and and do something. You know, we have right now uh, elementary kids at Central Point Elementary doing podcasts. Um, we have high school kids. Stop. They have a little podcast studio. It is fabulous. Yeah. I think there was a group, for, I want to say from the school uh, Central Point School District, who came in and did a tour and interviewed us. Was that Central Point? I think that was, I think those were Central Point Elementary students. Tough questions. Oh, yes. yes. And like she shook my hand afterwards and said, thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Good. I was like, I'm man, gonna... gunning for my job is what they're doing. Absolutely. Okay. We're going to talk a lot about school and the school district and Crater Works especially because this is your new baby. Awesome. It is my new baby. Yay. Um, first of all, I like to start off all my fun conversations with where are you from originally? I'm from Northeastern Oregon. One thing I learned when I moved to Southern Oregon is when I say I'm from Eastern Oregon, people say, oh, Bend? I love Bend. 
the bend, central. <laughs> bend is in the middle of the state. <laughs> I'm from kind of the far reaches uh, of the state. It's okay. a nine-hour drive from here. Um, Whoa. I grew up in Haines, population 350. It's located uh, kind of between La Grande, Oregon, and Baker. Okay. Uh, Baker City now. It was Baker when I grew up okay. there. That gives you an idea of how big this state is. It is. It is. Huge. I moved as far as I possibly could from home without leaving the state. <laughs> uh, what was uh, what's the landscape like over in Eastern Oregon? It's it's more like sagebrushy, right? Well, some of it is. You know, I think people th- again think Eastern okay, Oregon sorry. is going to be high desert, and there's some of that on the eastern side of the state. I grew up in the Baker Valley. On one side, the Blue Mountains, stunning. I mean, mm. they are um, massive beautiful mountain range and on the other side uh, the Wallawas or the Elkhorn range a much larger valley I think than the Rogue Valley Mm -hmm. but um, really stunningly beautiful it's green all summer Um, again some sagebrush hills uh, for sure but mostly mountains so small town girl oh very much grew up on a ranch you grew up on a ranch I did cows horses cattle cattle and and horses okay cattle primarily and hay you kind of have to have horses if you have cattle, right? I think so. Maybe not. I just saw I was back at the ranch um, a few weeks ago and heading into town, into Baker, and had to slow down. They were moving cattle, and they were doing it with four-wheelers. That wasn't the way it was when I grew no, up. horses, So right? maybe horses aren't as important anymore if you're running cattle. Interesting. So these were cattle that, like, went to slaughter for beef or uh, probably well the you mean the cattle that we raised yes. yeah absolutely we raised beef cattle okay um, the when we moved cattle as this was happening it's typically moving from pasture to pasture from okay um, the sagebrush areas in the in the winter into the uh, pasture areas in the hard summer. work very hard work okay so very this was your like your family family ranch like is this something that your dad got into or his dad or absolutely it's a family ranch it's important in Oregon to say that I am a native Oregonian I was born in Oregon uh, but just barely it's uh, when you speak with people who say oh my my parents were foreign born but I was Mm. born in America here in Oregon it's important to say that I'm a native Oregonian because my parents are Californians We won't say that too loud. So they came up. Oh, there's so many California transplants. I mean, oh, I know. They I love know. it up here. Uh, but they came from California and just settled. They did. Somewhere. They they moved to um, from Northern California mm-hmm. um, to Eastern Oregon in 1965. I was born in 1966. Uh, so they were here a very short period of time before. Okay. Um, they managed to make it across the border. So gotcha. I could be born in Oregon. <laughs> Cute. Did they? Did you help out on the ranch growing up? Oh, absolutely. You kind of have to, right? You do, yes. It's all hands on deck. Or it something is like all that. hands on deck. Did you grow up with siblings? Do I have two sisters, okay. uh, two younger sisters, one who's a year younger and one who's eight years younger? Okay. Oh, that's kind of quite the gap. It is, yes. Uh, I can tell you that I was the only planned child. I don't think anyone <laughs> intends to have their second child a year later. Um, and no one <laughs> intends on that baby uh, eight years later. Right. But I do hold that over my sisters. Right, nice. Um, did you guys get along? We did. Yeah. We we did. I mean, we had the, the things that siblings of course. have. But, of course. yeah, we did get along. Awesome. So you go to high school in this in Baker or? Went to high school in Baker. Okay. Um, 
And um, I went there. I went to high school for three years. I left after my third year. Technically, I'm a high school dropout. Really? I guess technically, in reality, I'm I'm a high school dropout. Um, Growing up in northeastern Oregon uh, in a small town, I think part of it was kind of feeling limited in some degree, Mm -hmm. not because I was a massive talent or had all of these things I wanted to do. But by the end of my junior year in high school, I had already taken chemistry and physics and AP English. I was facing a year of probably some PE and electives, and I I was kind of over it. You were done. I was done. And um, I did something that I think my mom, uh, who is uh, 75 years old now, still probably is uh, very regretful about. I just said, I, I don't want to go anymore. I'm, I want to go do something else. At that time, the state of Oregon required that you spend the receipt time hours to get a diploma. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't achieved those seat time hours. Um, I applied for college in, colleges in Oregon. Very disappointing to my mom. She uh, went to Berkeley. My dad went to Davis. I think they had ideas. You always want your children to do better that I would be at I don't know, Stanford or Yale mm-hmm. or Harvard. I had good SAT scores. I had strong grades. Um, so it was pretty devastating you when were I said a, I'm out. Yeah, a smarty pants. Super smart sounds like. Super smart. Sounds fair. like you got bored. I did get bored. I did get bored. Yeah. And no, again, I don't, I don't want to imply that I was a genius or super no, talented. I don't, I don't get that at all. I mean, I'm my, not saying yeah. my boredom was kind of in a really uh-huh. kind of regular way. I think I was, I was tired of ranch chores. I was tired of um, the whole scene and and wanted to do something else. So I applied um, for various colleges in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, the only ones that would accept me without a high school diploma were Southern Oregon State College, Western Oregon State College, or Eastern Oregon State College. And I did what any precocious 16-year-old oh would do. Gosh. Choose the one that's the farthest away. Yep, go as far as you can. Right. So that was right. Southern Oregon. Southern Oregon. Wow. 16? Yeah, I think I maybe just turned 17 after my last year of high school. You're leaving home at 17. You Mm -hmm. don't have a high school diploma? I did not. Okay, what what are your parents saying at this point? Oh, I think uh, my mom was upset, wasn't sure, you know, what to say except, okay, go on. Yeah. Go on to school. I was definitely academically prepared for college. Um, I felt like I could handle the coursework and I did pretty easily. You know, I think uh, in a lot of ways I was not um, mature enough to be Mm -hmm. in college at 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. So I've had a few guests on this podcast who have done just that. They went into college at 17 years old Mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of them are like, yeah, it was great. I finished early, but I wouldn't do it again because you're not, you're not ready emotionally I absolutely wouldn't do it again. You know, I had my son when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of things that happened as a result of college that I think had I been um, more mature, I, I would have fared better, I think. And, and I um, had a great college experience at Southern Oregon, um, but I certainly could have gone to, um, you know, better college, I think, yeah. had I actually not been in such a hurry to get out. Right. And yeah, I mean, you look back at that stuff and it's always that shoulda, woulda, coulda. And things turned out the the way they, I mean, I think in, in the best possible way. Right. I was an English major. I have a degree in English. Um, 
then I, because I was pregnant, uh-huh. uh, I had to think about, all right, maybe law school isn't the best plan. I've got to raise a child. Uh-huh. Um, maybe waiting until I write the great American novel is not the best plan Aww. with a baby on the way. So I got a second bachelor's degree in education, and my plan was that I would substitute teach okay. um, until I could uh, put together the money for law school or publish the great American novel. Is that what you wanted to do? Did you want to be a lawyer? I did. I, I love. That's why I was an English major. Um, oh. I love problem solving, reading, hmm. writing. Um, that was the plan. Wow. And then the baby comes along and does not necessarily – do those plans are they on hold or are they are you like they're done? Well, I think they were on hold initially okay. because um, it wasn't that I had a terrible high school experience, but for someone to um, leave high school after three years, not feel yeah. particularly fulfilled by it, yeah, um, to then decide, oh, maybe I'll teach high school. So it was really intended to be a way to um, provide that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be able to sustain myself and yeah. my son. And as we mentioned earlier, that that academic school schedule, I'm thinking, oh, well, this is perfect if you're raising a child. It really is. It is. And what I didn't expect was that I would love it. I mm-hmm. From the time I started student teaching um, high school English, I loved it. It was my mm-hmm. jam. I Were you 19? At the time, or were you like twenty no, at this point? I would have been twenty because okay. I think I turned twenty-one the year that I graduated. I did two four-year degrees over five years and had a son. I accomplished a lot. In oh five my years. gosh! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What were your two degrees? English. One in English, one in education. In education, right? Then I went back. Uh, gosh, the following year, I think after my first year teaching, and got a master's degree um, within a couple of years, and and then from there got. Um, you know, further right. education certification in Portland because it's what you do. It's what, yeah, you I'm teachers, you superintendents, you That's just right. you can't get enough of school. You That's love it right. so much. That's did right. you ever play school when you were younger? No, no. Oh, I did. I was did a big. You? I played school. I was the teacher, and I had some weird. Um, one of my teachers gave me. Do you remember the attendance books? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It was like very grid. It was like yeah, a grid. A grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she gave me one of her old ones. And I was in high heaven, and I played school when you I was little. You were very bossy when you were little, weren't you? Very because bossy. Because you were the teacher, I assume. Very bossy. How'd yeah. you know that? I can, I can just tell. I'm you still wanna, bossy. If you're playing school, you're, mm-hmm. you want to be the teacher. I'm still yeah. really bossy. In fact, I have a great story. I came home from school once, maybe first grade, second grade, crying in tears. And I said, Mom, nobody wants to play with me. I don't have any friends. No one wants to play with me. And she goes, it's because you're too bossy. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. I boss people around. I still do. I still boss people around. My husband says that all the time. He's like, don't boss me around. You're not my (laughs) boss. Um, But yeah, I was very bossy. So I wanted to be the teacher and I wanted to tell everybody their thing. That's Um, funny. So you are student teaching in a local high school? Local high school at Ashland High School. Wow. And you love it. Loved it. I loved it. What what did you love about it? I think that... On one level, well, first of all, it was um, literature and writing. Those are two things that mm-hmm. I really loved. I didn't expect to really like working with students as much as I did. And I think from the first time I was teaching that student teaching experience, I felt like 
this is an opportunity to do better by these students to make sure that their experience mm-hmm. isn't what mine. And and again, my high school experience was not terrible by any means. Right. But I wanted to make sure that kids really were challenged and engaged. Hmm. It's that kind of that idea of leaving something better than when you stumbled across it. Yeah, and, it I'm, and I'm not sure that it, had you asked me at the time, uh-huh. was that part of what was driving me? I'm, I'm sure that I would not have recognized that. But okay. in retrospect, I certainly recognize that. Just making it something that's different for students. Absolutely. More engaging or... More engaging and challenging, I think, are the two things that okay. I was after. So you get, you do a lot in five years, um, two degrees and a kiddo. And is your goal at this point, I want to be a teacher. That's what I want to do. Oh, absolutely. By the time I finished student teaching, I was ready. I wanted to be a teacher. Okay, so where does that path take you then? Um, I had two job offers. One was in Lake Oswego. One was at Eagle Point. Um, it was 1989, and there uh, – there just wasn't a lot of hiring going on. Mm. Um, I was fortunate. I'd done very well in student teaching. Um, so I I had some choices um, in jobs. Decided I really loved the Rogue Valley. Mm. I'd never even been really to Eagle Point, though. But took the job and um, had a great few years mm-hmm. um, in teaching. Okay. In fact, a, when I say a lot, a handful of my former students now um, work for us in District 6. Oh, my gosh. Is that crazy? It is crazy. It is crazy. It's um, – I had I had great experiences with teachers growing up in elementary school and middle school, just those ones that really stick out to you, yeah, you know, that yeah. you never forget. My first grade teacher was Mrs. Musselwhite, and I just adored her. Anyways, um, it was weird when you saw your teachers out at the grocery store, like you're with your mom, mm-hmm. and you're just like – Ew, there's my teacher and she's wearing shorts. And it was just like so weird and creepy. Um, And I'm sure there's probably this very surreal thing for you. And you had these like kiddos that are now like, they're adults, they're married, they're having children. Right. It's nuts. It it is crazy. Because I think we feel like we're sort of the same age. I do. It's, it's, it's shocking to me when, I, when I'll when i see someone that had been a student at graduation, we're lined up for graduation, yeah. this guy says, oh, Miss Steele, and waves to me. And um, it was, you know, Danny Acri, a kid that I had. He said, I haven't seen you for 20 years. I wanted to say, Danny, it's more like 25. Oh, <laughs> but, my gosh. Yeah. It's just like, it's so cliche, but where does the time go? It just slips by us. It does. Really it does. fast. So you're working in the Eagle Point School District at mm-hmm. the high school? At the high school. Okay. Teaching English, English. and writing? writing? Mm-hmm. In, well, English, yes, but which is literature and writing. Okay. Absolutely. So literature, which brings me to what were in your curriculum, what were the books that your students were reading during this time? Oh, my gosh. When I think of the books that were impactful, you know, Catcher in the Rye was, yes. was a big one. Anything I, I love to present books in a way like, well, this is a banned book. Gosh, I'm not sure we should do this. All you have to do is is present it uh, in that way for kids. This to is off limits. Really, yeah, well, I'm worried about this. Um, there were some Shakespeare that I presented that way that kids ended up um, really liking as a mm-hmm. result. Um, like what from Shakespeare? Oh, my gosh. Uh, what was one that... Um, Got ninth graders got Romeo and Juliet. One of my favorites. Uh, yeah, um, Caesar. I mean, I'm trying to think of all of the mm-hmm. Shakespeare that we went through, but students ended up really liking that once yeah. they understood um, some of the humor and 
and the controversy Macbeth all of the totally sexual overtones of Mm -hmm. Macbeth um you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's it is interesting to think about this old dude being so scandalous and that it was big when he was alive in this time frame and it's still you know relevant for us Right. So now I live in Ashland. People dress up. They go to the theater. It's mm. a, a, considered a sophisticated thing. I think in Shakespeare's day, you know, everyone was the equivalent of, of drinking Budweiser and right. getting in fights right. in the audience right. to see this kind of Which is still fun. Humor. Still it's a good party. Still, still yeah. a good party. Um, yeah, Catcher in the Rye was a big one, I think, it was in high school. One, yeah. Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby taught that. That I mean, that's one of the reasons why I started going into writing classes was just the great Gatsby. And it was all because of the way the teacher broke it down. Mm-hmm. I think if you send a kid home with this book and say, come back in a week and we're going to write a paper on it, yeah. you have to break it down, that whole West the West egg, East egg, partial. Absolutely, like, yeah. Like, what does this mean? Old money, new money. And you have to break down all of the little elements in the book. Otherwise, students, they're not going to get it. You have right. to challenge them and help them understand Absolutely. where the author is coming from. Absolutely. Uh, Kill a Mockingbird. No, To Kill a Mockingbird is a great one. It's yeah. cr- it's awesome It's not too. just the history, but it's also uh, what does this mean for kids today? Yes, that's and, and not just in a historical significance or this is part of the literary canon, right? But what does it mean for kids? And today? I love that. I love. I think it's so awesome that you know the books that we were reading two decades ago, students are still reading today, among others, but they're timeless. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Let's do an English class. Let's <laughs> do one. Come in and guest teach. That would be, be fun. super fun. So with teaching, a lot of jobs, it's all about promotions and moving up the ladder. Was that a big – was that important for you? No. Gosh, it's kind of funny that it, as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that a lot of um, elements of my uh, professional life have not been um, – there was no real – forethinking about uh, or planning Mm -hmm. or aspiring. So I was an English teacher for quite a few years. Um, I became an assistant principal at Eagle Point High School because there had been some changes at the district office. I was hired without a license to be an administrator uh, three or four weeks, I think, into the school year on an emergency license. Mm. Um, Just some changes and, and someone somewhere thought, oh, you would be really good at this uh, and I became an assistant principal and on the administration side on the administration side the dark side not <laughs> quite as dark as the death star that is district office. oh yeah you're you're dark dark oh yeah when you're in the superintendent's office that's it Darth Vader D- totally Darth Vader I didn't want to go there but you said it first um are you still teaching and assistant principal or no just assistant principal just assistant principal and I did that for a couple of years at Eagle Point um then ended up uh, moving to Crater. At that point, I, I did like being an assistant principal. Okay, I was it was ask. A, it was a lot of fun. Uh, missed a little bit of teaching, uh, but it was fun. And then I accepted a job at Crater High School. You know, I moved from Central Point or Eagle Point to Central Point, mm-hmm. point to point. Mm-hmm. And um, that principal, Karen Lynch, uh, who was awesome, and she was nearing retirement. And what I really thought was, this is a good move because eventually I want to be a high school principal. You do. So I could work under her and then become a principal. Okay. That's what I get for thinking ahead (laughs) and doing some career planning because that is, of course, not what happened. Okay, what happened? After, uh, I think, two years at Crater, 
um, I talked to the superintendent, or he had talked to me about applying for a job as director of education. I really hesitated to apply for that job or to consider that because I saw the the move as being principal, not district office. Mm. But after thinking about it and um, looking at, at what those responsibilities were, it looked interesting to me. So long story short, I end up as director of education. Okay. Do you have to go back to school for anything, for any of this? No, I think by then I'd finished everything I needed to do okay. school-wise. So now you're in the district office. Mm-hmm. You really are on the dark side, as you I say. Am. Is there... I mean, I know you're joking about it. Is there a divide between teachers and, like, the administrative staff? Well, I, I mean, I think there's naturally that kind of tension. Uh, I am, I hope, and I, I believe this is true in our district, that we have a very collaborative relationship mm-hmm. with our teachers. Part of what I loved about being a high school teacher is getting to decide what to teach and how to teach it. And even as we look at the shift in education in the U.S. and the shift toward testing and um, required curriculum, those kinds of things. I really believe, and in our district, teachers get to choose. They have tremendous academic freedom. That's nice. They get to try some things. Otherwise, I, I can't imagine coming to work every day and having Hoot and Mifflin, you know, the textbook publisher, determine what you're going to do. For sure. So I think in, in our case, there's there are naturally always those tensions. Um, but teachers do have that academic freedom, mm-hmm. and I, I think it has meant better relationships between okay. administration and, and teachers. So I want to talk about then, you're now in the district office and the path that you take to get to superintendent, but before that, really quickly, what has changed in our education system? Oh, my gosh. Well, Has I'll, it gotten I'll, worse? Has it gotten worse? I think in a lot of ways it's gotten better. Okay, but good. it got worse first. Okay, um, so no child left behind was the first thing that happened, um, and no child left behind uh, forced public schools mm-hmm. to focus on testing. It, it came in, into play right about the time that funding was really low. So suddenly, you don't have much money, and our feet are to the fire on passing these particular um, high stakes tests. Yeah, everything else in the curriculum went away because it was all about the test. The only positive from No Child Left Behind is it truly forced schools to focus on the progress of every student. Okay. So I, I appreciate that. I think that was was the legacy No Child Left Behind left us. What year was that? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. I want to say it was like 2000, early 2000s. No. I think it was early 2000s. I can, if I had my phone in here, I would, I would look it up. Google it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, I, and since then, I mean, I think we are still in a place of high stakes testing. No one is really sure um, what is the quick and dirty, how do we know if kids are learning? Yeah. And so we depend on these tests. Tests tell us something, but it's like going to the doctor and saying the only piece of data that we're going to use is your blood pressure yeah and if your blood pressure is high you're not healthy and if it's low you are healthy and that's it that's the only data we're going to use Mm -hmm. and um, certainly that wouldn't be accurate or appropriate in the world of medicine I don't know why it continues to be uh, considered accurate or appropriate in the world of schools do you think we should be testing students like this have these standardized tests well, I think there is always a place for standardized tests, okay. but it needs to be um, 
part of a, a wide range of ways that we assess kids. In our district, we've really focused on exhibition. So not only are kids doing a, a paper and pencil test, which doesn't replicate anything that anyone ever does in the real world uh -huh. beyond more school, mm -hmm. but we ask students to show us um, what they know and they're able to do. We had six-year-olds uh, get together for exhibition and build an elevator out of a pulley system for their parents. That was their project. The focus was simple machines. They decided they wanted to build an elevator, and on exhibition night, they lifted their parents up uh, in this pulley uh, system elevator. That same group as seven-year-olds and second graders this year built a roller coaster that you could ride. That you can ride. That you can ride. That's it, impressive. It is. They're learning something. Not only are they learning something, <laughs> um, those content standards in, in science and math, they're learning collaboration and problem solving. They're learning uh, how do you work together and you come to this challenge and you're not sure what to do and pushing past that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think those are uh, other ways that we demonstrate that students um, are learning. Yeah. Because I think I have seen just in stories that I've done and through personal experience, pushing students through that shouldn't be pushed through just to get them onto the next grade. Well, I think sometimes um, students and a lot of times those students who are good at school become teachers. They get good at doing school. If you can... Um, pass a class or get an A because you've turned in 100% of your assignments, if you can get extra credit for bringing in cans for the canned food drive, mm -hmm. then those grades are really not reflecting what, you're, what you know and you're able to do. Um, being good at school is not necessarily, uh, those aren't skills that translate to yeah. being good in the real world, as, as you mentioned. So there's a lot of things that, that's done right currently within the public school education. So. What do we still need to work on? Uh, we need to work on customer service. Mm. I think we were the only game in town for decades. So um, if someone- Who's we, in, Central Point? No, no, public schools. Public school, okay. We're the only game in town. You move into a neighborhood, you find out where your school is, you sign up for school. Um, there is no teacher, principal, front office secretary that says, gosh, I wish we had more students here. Um, it's It was the only game in town, and I think it's not the only game in town for good reason. There mm -hmm. are charter schools, there are private schools, there are online schools. Um, we need to serve our customers, those students, those families, um, much, much better than we have been in the past. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, Logos Charter School building a brand new facility. Absolutely. It's become increasingly popular over the last few years. Absolutely, because part of that is because we expect um, that uh, in every area of our life, we expect that things are going to be personalized and individualized for us. Mm -hmm. No one picks up the, the phone um, and says, I'm just going to order a pepperoni pizza. They go to Mod Pizza and choose exactly which ingredients Just they for want me. on my personal pizza. Yeah. Um, charters and um, private schools have gotten better at that. We need to do that mm -hmm. because kids really do learn better when education is personalized. Very interesting. And I think you're seeing that now with CraterWorks. Oh, absolutely. So, Which we will talk about. So you're the director of education. What year is this? 
gosh, that's a lot of tough <laughs> questions. Maybe 2000. Did you hear that? I ask a lot of tough questions. Yes. <laughs> I like it. 2005, 2006. I don't know. Okay. Right around there. Okay. Two, no, maybe it was later than that. 2006, 2007. Okay. Um, I told you this before we started. I ran into one of my future podcast interview uh-huh. people. Um, and she said, I listened to some of your podcasts. You're going to ask me all sorts of questions about me. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I was like, yeah, you got to spill your guts. That's what you do on off script. I'm good with the narratives. But when you ask me about a particular date or time, um, I will mix that up. Okay. So, well, yeah. my apologies. I'm just nosy. Right. I'm right. Just, I got that. <laughs> I am obnoxiously curious, actually, which is a better way of saying it. So you're director of education. Do you have your eyes on superintendent? Or are you just sort of happy in this moment? Oh, my gosh. I Director of education was super fun. It was a mm. great job. Um, I really got to help design, figure out, think about what was next for schools. Uh, Crater went through the, the transition to small schools at that time. Oh, okay. Um, we had a lot happening in the district. When the Randy Gravon, who was incredible, I mean, someone who really allowed people to pursue their passions, mm-hmm. to try things, when he got ready for retirement, um, that was one of the few times in my career where I absolutely wanted to be the superintendent and for all the wrong reasons. Oh, what were the reasons? Well, what I imagined the job, I, I imagined that I would be like the director of education but with $60 million to spend um, Mm. on that, that I would get to take all of the elements of my existing job with me and simply have more resource. I worked very closely with Randy the last um, few years that he was superintendent. Mm -hmm. You would think that I would have really had an idea of of what a superintendent does, and I, I truly didn't. Oh, no. I truly didn't. But you get the job. I got the job, got the job. After a while, were you like, oh, crap? I think a a little bit was disappointing. (laughs) It's hard to give Mm. up the stuff that I loved. I mean, I I had a director of education, and he was really talented, and he wanted to do that job. Um, And, you know, didn't really want me meddling, although I think... Are you a control freak? Not a control freak. I'm a little more of a meddler. I I find things I'm interested in, and then I want to do those things. So I had to let that go. I had Mm -hmm. to take on – superintendent is very political. Superintendent sometimes is a lot more about the relationship of the district with other entities mm-hmm. than it really is the operations of the district. I mean, yeah. there's someone running operations, there's someone running business, there's someone running education. Um, I'm the superintendent is that that person who is um, the relationship with outside yeah. groups. I mean, you it's very political. Was that a shock for you? Like, yes. I mean, because People are all up in your business. When, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what? how did you handle that? Well, I think it's tough at first. You know, we, we just successfully um, passed a bond, which was incredible mm-hmm. uh, to be able to have our community support us in that way. I had never been through a, ban- a bond campaign. As we're getting ready for it, you know, there's kind of a fine line between um, what you do as a private citizen and totally. then what you do in your role. Exactly. Um, I have to be very apolitical mm-hmm. in my role. Teachers could go door to door and knock on doors and say, mm-hmm. please vote yes for a bond. You can't. 
I can't because I am never not the superintendent. Right. So a teacher can do that after 4 p.m. Yeah. In July, I can't. And you obviously are supporting this bond. Absolutely. But you can't say anything about it. Right. I mean, I could say what we would do if we had the money. Sure. What I mean, there were a lot of factual things I could say, but I could never say vote yes yeah. on our bond. Was it heartbreaking to hear in the news and read in articles, I'm sure, people are like, I'm absolutely voting no against this. The school district needs to figure out their budget without us spending more money. I don't think it was heartbreaking. You know, honestly, when when folks engaged either online or sent me an email or I talked to them about their reasons for voting no, I understand. I think the tax system in Oregon is flawed and we need a major overhaul. Mm -hmm. We ask a lot of taxpayers Mm -hmm. and particularly property owners. Unfortunately, in the state of Oregon, school funding is complicated. There's no, in a nutshell, way to explain it. But um, districts receive funds from the state school fund for operations. Yeah. School districts have to go out for capital improvement bonds in order to do capital projects. It's a bake sale. It's a bake sale. It's a glorified <laughs> it's a bake sale. $82 million bake sale. I know. <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's backwards to me. It is backwards. Um, the Oregon legislature just passed this education bill. Yes. Are you yes. excited about this? Is very, this a good thing? Very excited. I'm, I'm just wrapping up the last few weeks of being president of the Confederation of Oregon School Administrators. Um, that's the organization that worked along with the Oregon School Boards Association and the Oregon Education wow. Association to, to work toward that legislation. Awesome. So it's been a busy um, year in that way, okay. um, getting to this place where I think we will fundamentally change education in Oregon. Awesome. That's exciting. That's exciting. Let's put more on your plate. Samantha yes. Steele. Let's do it. <laughs> so you're superintendent. You're getting comfy in this role of superintendent. Where does the idea of Crater Works come? So the idea of Crater Works is a, is a combination of a, a, a lot of things that happened simultaneously. Okay. Um, we had just started working. I knew you interviewed Tania Browning with Dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I got together following a Rotary meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had done a presentation about finding community garden space. She was actually looking to, for something to buy. I approached her afterwards and said, don't buy anything. Let's have lunch. She's awesome, by the she, way. Oh, she's incredible. Oh, my gosh. She's incredible. She's hilarious. So I said, don't buy anything. Let's have lunch. Okay. We talked. I said, we've got 10 school campuses that we could do gardens. Uh-huh. Um, what if you did them at school sites? Long story short, she did. Um, DIRT has been an incredible partnership where teachers have the opportunity to go out and use gardens, um, use the the aquaponics system when it makes sense in their curriculum, but they're not weeding those gardens on Sundays. Um, Mm. They're not having to repair the greenhouse. So it makes project-based learning or authentic learning easy. Crater Works happened as a result of Um, Partially that relationship, but really what it was is, oh my gosh, so many things happened. Um, I heard about a trip to Portland. So there was a trip to Portland. Um, I I, uh, was had been running in Portland a lot on weekends, and I kept running by this place that I couldn't figure out what is this. People marching in with two by fours. Um, it looked like art. I couldn't figure out what it was. But you're like running, running? Running, running. Okay. Yeah, I'm like exercise. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. So one day I just went in <laughs> okay. and decided, I'm going to check this out. Um, and it was a makerspace. I'd never heard of a makerspace. Right. 
Meanwhile, um, we had had an offer from the Morris Family Foundation. They're incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, They said, we want to do something for Central Point School District. Think big. Ooh. I know. They had no idea when they, they, they've been incredible. I don't think they, they were thinking, you know, like $300,000, not 4.5 million, but, um, okay. <laughs> they were great. So that had happened. I had this relationship with Tania, seeing the maker's space, um, with the Morris offer. Meanwhile, career technical education, CTE was yes. having a resurgence and there had been a lot of pressure on school districts to bring back CTE. And I knew I didn't want to bring back CTE the way it was in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it People have nostalgia about it. Wasn't it great when you could take woodshop? Absolutely. But things had changed. You know, when I started teaching, even when I was in high school, some kids took woodshop and metal shop and went into the workplace after uh, high school. Mm-hmm. Some kids took AP physics and AP English and went to university. Mm. Those things um, have changed. That pathway idea has have has changed for a number of reasons. One, it takes more credits to graduate from high school in Oregon. So peop- so kids don't have those electives. Yeah. Um, the, the time over four years as available to them. Kids who are going into a vocation need more math, more science, and more technology than they did 20 or 30 or 40 years yeah. ago. Yeah. So they really can't afford to miss out on the technology, math, science, communication, problem solving. Those kids who are going to university, who would hire an engineer or an architect who had never actually built anything? No doubt. They they need those opportunities for authentic learning. So rather than pursuing a pathway sort of approach to career technical education, we really wanted something that was more integrated into core so that every single student had those opportunities. Hmm. And kids that get really into it, um, have that chance to get really into it. But every kid um, would have those opportunities in career technical education. It took me probably, I don't know, listening to Chris Brown uh, several times in the interview that I did with him before I could really wrap my head around a makerspace. And I'm just like, wait, what is it? And then I kept thinking, what is this? And it's just, well, it's amazing, first of all. And it's something, looking back on it now, it seems like you guys are ahead of your time a little bit. Well, um, I don't know that we're ahead of our time in terms of a makerspace in itself. I mean, I've visited, gosh, uh, Artisan Asylum in Boston. I've, I've been to so many makerspaces across the U.S. So it's definitely something that has become more common. It's progressive. It is progressive. And what's progressive about our approach, and I don't think there's another example of this anywhere in the in the U.S. that I know of, is that we are um, a school district community industry partnership. Yeah. We're actually an LLC. We had we had to become um, an LLC, the district did, in order to do this. We're partnered with community. Um, so that means that our students can come into that makerspace as part of their physics class. Students can build a catapult. Uh, physics. One of the physics teacher, he's awesome. He has kids build a catapult in his carpeted classroom now. He'll be able to bring kids over to do a catapult or something even more amazing mm-hmm. there. Um, kids who are excited about that can be there on a Wednesday night or all day Saturday or every day in July. And the nice thing is, is that they're rubbing elbows with people 
um, who are artisans, who are technicians, who are skilled craftspeople. Mm -hmm. So they have that opportunity for um, shared problem solving and mentorship. Awesome. It also allows, um, it will be fiscally sustainable because of those community memberships. The other thing that was different from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and today, the cost of purchasing and maintaining equipment for a, an industry-appropriate, uh, even wood shop, metal shop, any of those areas, much, much higher. School districts, mm -hmm. we, we can't afford to purchase and maintain that kind of equipment. And this makerspace, I mean... It, sky's the limit. Yes. I mean, it, it's literally, it's not just, you know, restricted to wood shop, metal shop, um, design, architecture. I mean, if, if you wanted, if someone wanted to go in there and say, I want to teach kids about getting a mortgage and how to function. Absolutely. I mean, we have a, you can we have a lab for that. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. That's just what's crazy to me. And then I can go and buy a membership here, like a gym membership, and just learn something new. It's like a library of tools and equipment. I love it. Um, whether it's someone who's a novice, who's never done anything in a wood shop, or someone who has a home business or shop in their garage, but they don't have all of the coolest, latest equipment and tools, and they want to go collaborate with other craftspeople. It's amazing. I think it's really cool for industry. You know, right now we see that um, there are industries in Southern Oregon that need skilled employees. Mm -hmm and uh, they're not available a lot mm -hmm. of the time. Someone who owns um, a business and needs someone who can swing a hammer, needs someone who can use that tech equipment, could offer a weekend seminar in how to build something. And that's a way to introduce that business owner to um, people in the community who may be um, interested in that. Right. Or, or kids who ultimately want to pursue that as a career. Yeah. I mean, home builders, that's a that's a one in construction. Those those laborers are needed right now. Absolutely. And it's and it's stuff like that, you know, being able to frame um, a house. And it's also uh, stuff that's more uh, artsy or, well, gosh, when we were at ADX and I took all of our entire administrative team, once I discovered this make makerspace for our, um, you know, annual uh team building, district team building, to Portland, uh, to the makerspace. And while we were there, we built a, a chandelier out of bike frames. While we were there, um, there was a surfboard company from, from Maine. Mm -hmm. They had six or seven, I don't know, like accountants, lawyers, whatever, who had taken a Friday off. So they had a three-day weekend. And they were building their own surfboards. So that's so cool. Yeah, it was it was exciting. I talked to those guys at the time. They said, "If you do a makerspace in Southern Oregon, we'll come to Southern Oregon." No way. Yeah. So we'll have to get them here. For Absolutely, it. and then let me know so we can do a story on it. Absolutely. Um, how did you pay for this? <laughs> <laughs> Where did they get four point five million? Yeah, Where it's did that a, it's a combination of things. So first, I want to say the Morris Family Foundation, who said, "Think big." And they had no idea how big I was going to think, but they have given us a significant amount of money, mm. um, well over a million dollars. Thank you, Morris Family they're, Foundation. Yes, they're awesome. Uh, we all primarily grant money. Okay. Um, so we have private grants, state grants like Measure Ninety Eight. Mm -hmm. um, mm. The school district we bought, purchased the property, mm -hmm. which is an asset for the district, but it's grant money and. Um, our hope is that that becomes, it's purchased through 
private and public grants and it will be sustained via community. Um, are you, you know, this is what, how many years are we talking this project? Okay, well, as I said, I'm a meddler. <laughs> yes. I find something I'm interested in. I was interested in this. I've spent a lot of time uh, working on this project. I think it's, it'll be four years. We were just talking about this the other day. Oh. I really thought from the time that I walked into ADX and wanted to do something like that, mm -hmm. I thought it would be done, you know, within a year. I have an of idea. Course. Let's make it happen. Of course. Mm -hmm. um, and it's up and running. It's up and running. Okay. And memberships, you're still, people can still get a membership. People this place. can absolutely get a membership. Okay. okay. Where should they go if they want information on what it is and... Well, you can walk right into CraterWorks oh. or CraterWorks.org. Okay. Um, do you think with CraterWorks that, you know, we're kind of discussing these jobs out there, especially those vocational jobs that, you know, it's not a traditional four-year university. Maybe it's a two-year degree that you go and then you can get right into the workforce. You know, when I went to college, it was like, if you don't go to college, you're a loser. Yeah, and I think that's changed a lot. And Thank for good goodness. reason. Yeah. For good reason. Um, we need people who can do things. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me, uh, those disruptors, the, the folks who are really changing the landscape of the U.S. in, in terms of um, commerce or technology, they tend to have kind of, you know, scattered college backgrounds if there's a college background. Mm -hmm. And I think that has really changed in the U.S. I do think college continuing education of some kind is really important. And for a lot of kids, that may be a university degree. But it's not necessarily right. the be-all and end-all. My own son dropped out of college with maybe less than a year to go and mm -hmm. he interestingly is on the east coast now he has a, a really thriving uh, business there so and he's 31 he's 31 you do not look old enough to have a 31 year old thank you thank you you're welcome it's the truth it's a shout true story. out to my hairstylist it keeps those root gray roots covered honey high five <laughs> on that i'm going in this week it's like it's the best thing when you leave the salon you just feel like a rock star it, absolutely yeah mine's yes. actually getting done tomorrow so maybe there are roots during this but no yeah. we no. thank you all of those wonderful people out there that keep us keep our hair absolutely. colored and cover those grays absolutely. thank you so much so so, I mean, you yourself said you're uh, technically a high school dropout, uh -huh. you know, you got two degrees in five years. So, I mean, you're obviously, you were on the path to do something bigger, but I just, it just seems like we used to have this idea that you have to go to college after high school and then you have to get a job right after that. And it's just, it's just not, it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for everyone, and I'm not sure it's um, what we need in our community, in our state. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the first time in the history of the U.S., the return on investment for a college education is not there. Yeah. Kids are graduating from college with debts that are bigger than our mortgages. It's scary. It is, it is very scary. So for some kids, while it may be that college really is the path that they want, because certainly if you're going to be an engineer or an mm -hmm. architect or a teacher, you need that degree. But those kids really need a learn and earn model. They need to have marketable skills leaving high school so that they can earn that college degree um, without incurring massive debt. I mean, hundreds and tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just like what, it almost, it's almost, you can get angry over it. It's, what's the point? Yeah, you go to absolutely. school for four years, for what? Now I'm gonna be paying student loans for 10, 20 years, the rest of my life. 
And again, it may be the path for um, a lot of kids. And I think, right. again, depending on the career, it's really necessary. But how do we get them there without that kind of debt? I know. And how do we make sure that they have the skills that they need um, to be successful once they have the de- their degree and on their way to getting that degree? Yeah, I just, it's heartbreaking. And you hear horror stories about these students who leave college and they're just faced with all of this debt. I don't know. I, it's it's like you can't get to the surface. You can't, you're just drowning. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I was super lucky. I got scholarships and the school I went to was affordable and my parents were in a good position and I didn't have any student debt when I graduated. Right. And right. it's amazing. I look back, I see all my young reporters who come in and they have, they're just hit with all of this debt and it's heartbreaking. And they're making $25,000 a year, yeah, $30,000 a year. If, if that, that. Right. right. Um, do you feel like the university, the higher education system, should it be free? Well, I don't, I, should it be free? That Well, that's a really complicated question. Yeah. I think it should be much more accessible. Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, I met the president of Southern Oregon University. Last year we had a long conversation, and she was um, really progressive uh, around thinking for SOU, and that is to not just be the place where you go when you're 19 years old or 18 mm-hmm. years old to get a four-year degree, mm-hmm. but to provide those just-in-time kind of um continuing education and certifications that people need when they're adults Mm -hmm. or maybe someone just needs this piece but not the entire degree I think there's some options um, that way and and I do think that if not free higher education needs to be much more affordable yeah much more accessible I think that's a better way to put it it needs to be more accessible and I also think we shouldn't be putting so much weight in the school that you go to. Right, right. I mean, it just, at the end of the day, it doesn't really have a lot to do with your ability and how capable you are of doing the job. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Just because it's, yeah, we could go off on on that all day long. Um, I'm going to wrap up and get to my final three, but I do have a teacher question for you. Okay. You know when your teacher, it's like, oh, you're doing something that you just hate, absolutely hate, like in chemistry, you know, the equations and all that, and you just think, when am I ever going to use this in the real in the real world? Did mm-hmm. you ever, that's a teacher question for you. Are there things that teachers teach now that students are never going to need in the real world? Yes, <laughs> all the time. All and the I time. think that is one thing we need to get better at. Okay. Um, one of my, you know, can be a particular um content area that you're teaching or it can be a philosophy one of the things i heard and i still hear every year is you don't get to turn things in late in the real world and that's simply not true Um, there is almost never a circumstance um, in the real world where you can't turn something in late including your taxes so (laughs) so true (laughs) what, what you can't do is not not complete Yes. that uh, that work. And I think that a lot of times saying I don't take late work is a way for the kid to say, ah, well, it doesn't take late work. I guess I don't have to do it. And give up. That's not true in the real world. Okay. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> Teachers, stop saying that. No, just kidding. Okay, Samantha Steele, final three. Okay. Best advice you've ever been given. Oh, my gosh. This was hard. Uh, I was thinking through a lot of it. I've been thinking about my dad lately. He died on uh, 9-11, actually the year before the 9-11. He was someone that I aspired uh, to be like an incredibly hard worker. I grew up with a dad who hated Sundays because he seriously couldn't even sit through one football game. He um, was a tireless worker. And I 
um, so much valued that work ethic. Near the end of his life, I was sitting out on the deck at the ranch with him, and we're, we were talking, and I'm sharing with him some of the things that were going on uh, with me in terms of my uh, work, hoping to impress him with my work ethic. And he looked at me and said, you know, none of that means a gosh darn, he didn't say gosh darn thing. And I was kind of taken aback. And he said, well, he said, that's what I've learned. He said, this sitting here and talking with you, that's what becomes meaningful. And I, I the goosebumps. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I've thought about that. It's still the work I do still has tremendous meaning for me, but I have to think about it in terms of the kind of meaning that it, that it can have for others as well. Hmm. So then he, he was essentially saying this moment with you on this porch. It's about relationships. That's yeah. what matters. Absolutely. Oh, what was your dad's name? Henry. Henry. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good piece of advice. A moment I'll never forget. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you're living your life that way. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, what would you miss the most? What would bring you back here? I can't imagine leaving Southern Oregon. It only takes someone moving away to find out how good we have it here. My son, as I mentioned, is has a business on the East Coast. Prior to that, he lived in Portland. Um, he says this over and over again. I am uh, 100 yards from some of world-class mountain biking. In my, my house, 100 yards from world-class mountain biking. I can trail run um, right from my house. In summers, if I want to take the paddleboard out on Immigrant Lake, uh, you know, at dawn before work, it's a 12-minute drive mm -hmm. for me. We have mountains, lakes, outdoor recreation is right here. You can drive to Mount Ashland in 40 minutes, and if the snow isn't the way you like it, drive home. You haven't lost a half a day. Right. So I think that is something that I, I can't think of another place in the world that has those sorts of resources available. Yeah, I think about that all the time. Are, are there things that I wish were here? Sure. But when I look at what we have, I'm just, it's incredible to me. It is incredible. Everyone says, if only we had the ocean a little closer, uh, then none of us could afford to live here. So <laughs> we need to have that mountain range in our way. So true. And enjoy the drive. Yeah, it's exactly. fine. You're fine. Exactly. Okay, uh, final meal, final drink. I, I am torn between making my own final meal or Ooh. having Ken Forkish uh, prepare it. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to say, I, I'm in retirement. What I will do is cook. I love food. I love to cook. Yay. But my f final meal is going to be pizza okay. because uh, at the end of the day, that truly is my favorite. And it's all about the crust. Mm -hmm. um, Wood-fired oven, mm -hmm. Ken Forkish at, at Ken's Artisan. Uh, with a great glass of Italian red wine. That is my final meal. Speaking my language, what would be on your pizza? Oh, something really simple. Like uh, a margarita? Yeah, yeah. Okay. A, a, he makes one that has a little bit of um, onion and spicy sausage and, um, you know, very, very little sauce mm. and cheese. So you like to cook. I Obviously, do. my final three is never my final three. There's always like eight bazillion other questions. <laughs> uh, what do you like to cook? What's your favorite thing to cook? 
Um, the only food that I absolutely will not eat or prepare are beets. I don't know why. There's almost nothing else in the world that I wouldn't uh, that I wouldn't do. Why beets? I, Poor beets. I, I don't know beets. Do they taste like dirt? They yeah, but not in a good mushroomy way. Mm, I love beets. Yeah, no. That's- so I, I like to cook when I retire, uh, what I imagine, I used to say owning a restaurant, but I really don't want that. That seems hard. I think what I want to do is, you know, kind of have a supper club where people have to come in Brilliant. and eat whatever it is I prepare. Brilliant. No menu, no sauce on the side. It's <laughs> whatever I prepare. This is on the table. You're going to eat it now. Um, and there's going to be a commercial kitchen at Craterworks. There is. Was that yes. your idea? Well, I don't know that it was my idea. It was a key part of it because that does differentiate it, I think, from a typical makerspace to have that commercial kitchen. Anyone who knows me well knows I love to cook also. I love oh, to be do? in the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Love it. We need to get together and do this. Love it. Not bake. I'm not a baker. I'm a cook. Like, I want, I love to cook and I love feeding people. Um, have you seen the movie Chef? Of course. Sorry, super tangent. Um, I'm obsessed with a show on Netflix recently that just came out. It's called The Chef Show. So it's the actor, John Favreau, uh-huh. who played Chef, right? and the chef who trained him for that movie, and they're cooking all the stuff that they made in the movie. Oh, so like the, the closing credits of Chef when he's explaining Doing the grilled, the grilled cheese. cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd make the grilled cheese, and he shows why he, it was so intense. Do you remember the pasta that he fed to oh, Scarlett yeah, Johansson? Absolutely. I made that last night because I got so inspired, I had to cook it. Wow, wow. So you need to check out, it's called The Chef Show and it's on Netflix. Okay, you've got to check out Blood, Bones, and Butter. Okay. It's the best memoir I've ever read um, by a chef. It's incredible, it's literature, it's cooking. Done. Uh, it's incredible. So Say it again. I think it's blood, bones, and butter, or okay. bones, blood, and butter. Okay. And it I'm, ends with butter, and the other two are. Butter, you had me at butter. I, I can I can definitely tackle that. And sorry, everyone, one more thing. Chef's Table on yes. Netflix. Have you seen that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it just it's incredible. There's something about cooking and kitchens and people and community. Yes. And food. Yes. Okay. Well, we could just we could we could have a part two of this podcast we should, with a bottle of wine, and we can just talk about food. I'm in Samantha Steele. I am in. You are fun, smarty pants. <laughs> Thank you, overachiever. This was great. Yeah, super fun. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We are also on Google Play and Stitcher. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on features and then off script. One more time, Samantha Steele, the superintendent over at Central Point School District. I would say happy summer, but you got to go to work. I've got to go back to work. <laughs> Thanks. For being here. Thank you.